chapters in Romans that Paul so summarizes to the first Corinthian church that for us we understand that man had a need of salvation that he spent the first couple of chapters of Romans talking about the condition of mankind and our need for salvation and how God had provided for us uh, a way to have that salvation in his son Christ Jesus and how we are by faith to take hold of what Christ has done so that we understand that it is the scriptures that point us and convict us of our need for Christ and the provision of Christ alone as our only Savior as offered up by the scriptures alone and we appropriate that by faith alone all for God's glory alone. And so the temptation there is to say, well, then now what? Or, as Paul has said in the fifth chapter, that all of this that has happened is of grace. That all of this is not of man's doing, but of God's doing on your behalf. And that all who would receive that, receive this grace, that we do not boast within ourselves, but we boast within God. And so Paul here anticipates, though, from this freedom from sin, this freedom from condemnation, and this gift of justification, the immediate response might be from some is then, should we sin all the more? Are you saying, Paul, that we can just do anything now that we want to do? Are you saying, Paul, that um, I'm free, that since I'm guaranteed justification before the Lord, I can now just go live however the heck I'd prefer to live? And since it's all secure and I can't lose my salvation, so what? I will just do what I want to do. And in our reading this morning, we find out Paul says something completely to the opposite. I want to start with actually 521 and move through 614. In our reading this morning, hear the Word of God. So that sin and rain, reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul, in the most strongest language here, rebukes the even thought of that question and saying, by no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death. In order that, the reason that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we had been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. 
death no longer has dominion over him. And I might add, glory, hallelujah. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So that you may also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Might I add, glory, hallelujah. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to take you to obey its passions. Do not present your members as sins, uh, um, as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as though you have been brought, bought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Let's pray for the illumination of God's Word. Lord, we do come before You now and ask You to illuminate Your Word to us that we might receive it deep within our hearts and deep within our minds that we might not only believe but consider what has happened to us and therefore we could live in newness of life. Help us, O Lord, to see with eyes of the Spirit Your Word Help us to hear with the ears of the Spirit Your Word so that we might bear forth the Spirit's fruit in the life that we live in Christ Jesus. Forgive the sins of the one who speaks. In Your name we pray, Lord. Amen. So some of you will remember the show, um, I think it went by the title, Greatest Makeover. Some of you might remember that. I may be dating myself just a bit. About ten years ago, um, it was real popular on the television that they would take someone of um, common appearance, uh, someone frankly like me, um, and then they would spend a, a couple of weeks with them at the spa. They would lose their weight. They would give them a new wardrobe, a, and, and as some of you have pointed out, a haircut that some of us need. Um, and they would put on makeup, and they would take these glamour shots and then they would present this new person uh, to their significant other, their their husband or their wife, and and the and the person would go, "Wow, what has happened to you?" And and the person they would interview would say, "I am a different person now. My life has changed." And from a simple cosmetic makeover of that which is dying, there was astonishment and a new way of life. But Paul is saying here that something astonishing has happened to you beyond your flesh. And it has delved deep within your heart into the core of who you are that you are transformed from the old one who has died, who was foolish, who lived in the flesh and converted and transformed into that which is new and newness of life and living in Christ forever. And yet, we so often live as though nothing has happened. Nothing has transformed. We go out into the world and live 
solely by the world's wisdom, seeking the world's rewards, and chasing after worldly accolations and after worldly wisdom. And Paul says, don't you realize that something has happened to you? That's the title of today's message. What, what has happened to me, part one? What has happened to you? You see, that's really what is the root of the question that Paul anticipates being asked. And the, the question still gets asked today. Pastor, you mean to tell me that my sins are totally forgiven? The sins of my past? the sins of my future, and that they have been totally paid for by Christ Jesus, and that I'm totally free from the dominion of sin over my life, and I have no worries going before the judgment seat of Christ because I am covered in His righteousness and will stand alone in Christ Jesus? Yes. That's exactly what I mean to tell you because that's exactly what God's Word teaches us. Well then, Pastor... That means I must be able to just do whatever I want to do. And what Paul says at the heart of that question is this. The heart of that question is, I just want to keep living by the world's ways. And you're giving me permission to do so. And the way that Paul responds in saying, um, by no means. The first verse says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that this grace that you talk about, Paul, may abound? And Paul says in the strongest of terms, that's a stupid question. That's the wrong question. It's a question that says you don't understand the gospel. Because something has happened to you. At the root of who you are that would not even cause you to ask that question if you understood the transformation that has occurred in you because of what Christ has done to you and in you and for you. He goes on to say, here it is. By no means. How can he, we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who have died to sin Still live in it. What Paul is saying is that you have died to the authority of sin over your life. Certainly sin is still present in our world. Sin still bombards us. We still sin. But the power of sin, the dominion of sin, and the punishment of sin has been removed from you and I in Christ Jesus. And because of that, we are in Christ. It's a Pauline theology that will be in every single letter that Paul ever wrote. And you will find it in everything when you begin to look for it where Paul talks about the Christian is not alone. The Christian doesn't stand in a life that is uh, separated from who Christ is. A Christian doesn't stand with, okay, I've got my fire insurance. Now it's up to me to live the rest of my life. But that a real transformation has happened that the Christian now is in Christ. That you no longer live separate from God. 
You no longer live separate by your own means and your own strength and your own power, but you live as one who is redeemed in a relationship in the heart of Christ, whose heart is also in you. Where does this come from? Paul goes on to explain this mysterious union, and yet a true union. Do you not know that all of you have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death? Now the temptation here is to get hung up on baptism and how much water is used and how little is used or what river was used or what font was used. That's not the point. The point here is covenantal language. The point is here that you were baptized into the name of Adam. But you'll remember in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission what Paul is saying here in the same way that Jesus says, Go baptizing what? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As Sinclair Ferguson would say, we are baptized into the name of Christ. That baptism is truly a naming. That you once were identified by Adam and you once were identified by all the failures of Adam. You were identified by the frustration of Adam. And most significantly, all of us are identified by the death of Adam. And we were enslaved, indebted, trapped, in chains, in bondage to that life of being baptized into the name of Adam. And there was no hope. There was no way out. Until God sent His Son, Jesus, that we might be baptized with a new name, the name of God, the name of Christ Jesus. And all that He is, all of His riches, all of His glory, all of His joy, all of His peace, all of everything that He enjoys about His creation, you and I are now free to enjoy about His creation. Why? Because we are now in union with Christ. And Paul says at the root of the question, does that mean that I can go do whatever I want because of this magnificent grace that God has bestowed on me? Paul says, absolutely not. Don't you understand? You are in Christ. This is the most important truth that the Christian can understand. And without its understanding, we will not know the gospel. It's that critical. If you think that you were purchased to continue to live as your own Savior, you have missed the point. If you think that your life is meant to bear your own fruit, you have missed the point. 
And might I say, you may well consider what Jesus said in the Gospels. Many in that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do a lot of good things in your name? And he will say, depart from me because I never knew you. You see, it's possible to come to church every Sunday. It's possible to come to Sunday school every Sunday morning. It's possible to be in a life group. It's possible to be in a care group. It's possible to sing in the choir. It's possible to preach from the pulpit and still not know Christ. It's still not be baptized into the name of Jesus. How dare us? How dare us? minimize the act of baptism into just the sprinkling or the spreading or the dipping or the immersing of water. It's so much more than that. It is an act of faith that we have been baptized into the name of Christ and now we are new people. Funny that the Bible rarely, fair, I, don't, I don't know, maybe once, uh, possibly twice, The Bible rarely refers to us as Christians. We are mostly referred to by the Scriptures as those in Christ. And yet it's so foreign to the way that we live. Paul goes on to say about this union that we were buried with Him by a baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too would walk in newness of life. You see, you truly were in the reception of Christ. As we read in Corinthians, by the calling of the Father, and you're reaching out in faith to take hold of what the Father has provided in Christ. You ascend to believing Christ died for me, therefore I died with Christ. That there was an old me under the name of Adam, an old me baptized into the death of Adam that is now baptized into the newness of life in Christ. And therefore how I used to manifest the things of Adam, I now seek to manifest the things of Christ. You're not the same old you with some insurance. There's a new you that is in union with Christ that Paul says is free. What has happened to you? You have been, you and I are united with Christ, but we are also free in Christ. Paul says in verse 5, For if you've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly uh, be united with Him in a resurrected life like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him for this purpose, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we are no longer enslaved to sin, for the one who has died has been set free. Some of the best news the human race could ever receive. The idea that sin's power 
has been removed from us. It's a confusing situation sometimes. There's confusion about these verses sometimes. But here's what they are saying. They are saying you once were enslaved to sin and therefore enslaved to death. There, there, was, there was no hope. You might think, well, I, I, could, I could have chosen to do differently. No, you could not. Because it's your very nature. It is part of being a child of Adam. It is about being under the curse of Adam. That sin reigned on you. You could do benevolent works, but because of sin, they were corrupt. You could do nice things for people, but because of sin, they're corrupt. You could be one of the greatest neighbors on the block, but because of sin, that action is corrupt. Because there's no other power under which one can stand other than other Christ except under sin. And the wages of sin is death. And death is corruption. You remember the famous words of Ted Turner. Some of you do. I don't need a Savior. I'll do my good works. What Ted didn't understand was Ted himself is corrupt. His need isn't for works. His need is for a new heart. And praise be to God in Christ Jesus, God has provided that new heart to those who would believe. And because of that new heart, we are free from the power of sin that would reign over us that gave us no other option but to be corrupt that we might say no to sin and repent to a life of eternality with God. You remember some time ago I told you we're, we're free from the three P's of sin. That who the Son has set free is free indeed. That we're free from the power of sin. That Jesus in His actions and in His death has freed us from the power of sin. What does that mean? It means that you can say no. It means that you can pursue righteousness that is yours in Christ and live that life. That you are free to live under the righteousness of Christ now. Also the punishment. That we've been freed from the punishment of sin. We no longer need to fear death. Death has no hold on us any longer. For the wages of sin is death, but the wages of God is eternal life. That part of sin and that punishment for sin, which is death, no longer reigns over us. We no longer know the sting of what does it mean for me to be totally separate from God, alienated from who God is, alienated from His righteousness, alienated from His people, alienated from life, to go eternally deeper and deeper and deeper into the corruption of death. But to know with great assurity that to pass through this life is to pass through merely a shadow of death. And God will be with us to receive us unto Himself that we may have full assurance that death no longer reigns over us. And the perjury of sin. And the perjury of sin is this. That the enemy would whisper and tempt us all the time to tell us this cannot be true. You better earn it. Don't trust God. Do it yourself. 
Be your own God. And that's what the Son has set us free from, the ability to come into relationship with God filled with trust as new creatures and beings. We are free from fear. And knowing that the sovereign God who has purchased us, who has sent His Son to die on our behalf, that we would be baptized into His death, which means we are also baptized into His resurrection. That in the same way that He died for our sins, we live with Him in righteousness. If one is true, the other has to be more true. You know, there's great freedom in obeying the speed limit. There's no worry. Sometimes when we're driving down the road, Lee will say, did you see the policeman? How fast are you going? I can't tell you the joy in my heart when I say, I was doing the speed limit. There's a freedom in the law. There's a freedom that God has transposed in me that says I can rest in that which used to curse me. I can pursue that which used to pursue me to death. This law that Paul talks about, and we'll get into it more next week, but this law that Paul talks about pursued us, hounded us, convicted us, and points us to you're either dead or you need a Savior. But there's freedom that is transposed in the Christian who is in Christ to pursue the righteousness of Christ and fall in love with His law. The whole relationship has been changed and transformed from duty into delight, from death into eternal existence. So we live then in this freedom through a conversion and understanding and thinking about what God has done. Look with me at verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Christ. For we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. And isn't this the... teaching that sometimes goes about that you may lose your salvation. Don't you understand? To lose it and to come back, as Hebrews would say, would be to crucify Christ again. It is so what's so wrong in the Catholic Mass. If that's your background, I don't want to offend you, but I do want to tell you the truth. That this idea of crucifying Christ over and over and over again is not biblical. But if you're not from a Catholic background and you think somehow that you have to get saved over and over and over and over again, it's the same thought. It's the same logic. Thanks be to God that the Scriptures teach us that we were once baptized into His death and therefore once baptized into His life. 
that Jesus told the truth in the Gospels when he said, the Father has placed you in my hands and no one can snatch you out. And because of that, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Therefore, death has no dominion on him. For the death he died to sin once and for all, but the life he now lives, he lives for God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin in the same way as Christ Jesus alive to God. What does that mean? That means that the things that Christ now pursues from his throne consume you, compel us to pursue the very same things. That we are to live a life compelled by the throne of Christ. That our lives are lives of full repentance. And that repentance is not just from smoking or chewing or going with those who do. But it's a life of a transformed understanding. As Paul would say in Corinthians, that you would consider, that you would think, That in this consideration there is repentance and understanding something more significant than behavioral changes has happened to you. That at the very root and the core of who you and I are in Christ has been transformed to pursue that which Christ pursues. And true conversion into Christ is evidenced by a changed heart that desires nothing more than to pursue and glorify its life, its Savior, its God, Christ Jesus. This is some of the greatest news in all of the Scripture when we begin to understand Something much more significant than just the death for my sins has occurred, but also the eternal life for the transformation of my life has happened. That I am in union and you who believe are in union with Jesus. That we are not two separate people any longer. That Christ has taken hold of me and I have taken hold of Him. And my life is filled with the idea of repenting that I might walk more in congruity with who Jesus is. That my heart would be consumed by the things that consumes Jesus. That my love would reflect the love that Jesus has. That my forgiveness would reflect the forgiveness that Jesus has. That my love for the Father would be reflective of the love that the Son has for the Father. And that my trust would be the trust that the Holy Spirit places within me to look to Christ continually. Verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present yourselves as your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Here it is. But present yourself to God as those who have been brought forth from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin 
will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Sin is still present and we still fall. But the grace of God is still there. Greater than our failures. Greater than our falling. To lift us up to the truth that still remains that we are His. And nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It has been paid for. You have been adopted. And we are in union with Him to live like Him. Deserves one. So what do we do? What are we to be? I would ask you all to go home and consider, discern who the new you is. Those of you who are in Christ, do what Paul said to do. Think about it. Take some time. Think about who you are in Him. What does it mean for you to be united to Christ? What does it mean for you to reflect the life of Christ? How does that transform your worldview? How does it transform the view you have of God? How does it transform your life to know that God has pursued you? That God found you dead and corrupt, touched your heart and enlivened it, that you might reach out in faith to be united to Christ. Then think about how you might live for Him. What will your new life going forward look like? What does this life of repentance look like? How will my attitudes change? How will the way I view people change? How will the way that I talk to people and think about people, how will that change? Most of all, live under the grace that is yours. Because I promise you, if the grace is true and the grace is authentic and the grace is from Christ, it will lead you into the righteousness of Christ, not into the unrighteousness of flesh. Because when you understand the grace that is yours, you understand you are in Him. It is the gospel. And there is no other. You are His. He is yours. Possibly you've never known that. Maybe you're here this morning wondering, what would it be like for me to be new? To know what it is to be in relationship with a God who would love me unfettered. Maybe you've never known what it means to go from death to life and you want to know what it means to live. Let me tell you this now. God's not your genie. Don't come to Him just to get a favor. But if you're going to come to Him, come expecting life. Life abundant. Come expecting eternal life. Come expecting a transformed life that makes your heart new. Come expecting to bear more fruit, 
more joy, more love, more peace, more kindness, more gentleness, more long-suffering. Expect that. And then see what God will do with someone who's living in union with Him in the restoration of your life. You may be just surprised. Some of you know the story of Lee with her Guillaume Beret, and you remember, I've some of, I think I've told some of you, maybe I'm repeating myself, I'm at the age, you can give me an indulgence. The night that we thought that Lee was going to pass and go into the arms of the Savior, and in the little small chapel that was there in the hospital, my pastor came and prayed with me, and I told him I don't know what I'll do if I lose her. I don't know how to stop God doing what God is going to do. And he gave me these words. He said this, give her up. Maybe God will give her back. He gave her back and more. That was some 20 years ago. We've had more life. We've had more joy. We've had more grandchildren. We've had had great relationship. We've had fun. We've had tears. We've had all sorts of stuff. We've had a new life. It's the same question that you may be having in your head right now. Do I give up that old life? I don't know what it is to live without who I've been identified in Adam by. I don't, I don't know what it would be like if I didn't have all my stuff. Like my pastor, I want to pastor you and tell you, give it up. Because God will give you back so, so much more. Let's pray.